Section 51 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chess. You tell me of chess, what I've often thought before. In my opinion, there could not have been contrived a better expedient to humble pride than this game, which at once sets before our view the narrowness and insignificance of the human mind. I think it would be of real utility to anyone fond of such reflections, but then on the other hand, the foresight, the penetration, the address in defending ourselves as in attacking our adversary, the success attending the right management of the game, are so pleasing and afford so much inward satisfaction that it may at the same time nourish our pride and swell our self-sufficiency. I am still far from being cured of this passion and therefore want to be further convinced of my own weakness. Alone. I am delighted to be alone. I walk out, I amuse myself with reading and work, and I go to church. In short, I ask pardon of the company I expect, but I own I do wondrous well without them. A courtier. The other day, the Dauphin was shooting at a mark and shot very wide of it. Monsieur de Montazia rallied him upon it and told the Marquis de Crequy, who's very skilful, to fire saying to the Dauphin, see how well he will hit the mark. The arch-youth had the complaisance to shoot a foot further from it than the Dauphin, which turned the laugh on Monsieur de Montazier. Ah, little wretch, said he, you deserve to be hanged. The King The King, in reality, is well served. Neither life nor fortune is considered when his pleasure is the question. If we were as well disposed toward God, we should be saints indeed. Christian Humility I know very well that Jesus Christ, St. Paul and St. Augustine preached and exhorted. It was their business. This latter gives good reason for doing so. But a poor sinner, recovered only three days from a worse state than ours, should keep silence, penetrated with the mercy of God toward him, occupied only with his happiness and the true gratitude he owes to his Saviour for having selected and distinguished him from so many others without any merit, through free grace. Such shall be the sentiments of his heart, and if charity should make him interest himself for his neighbour, it should display itself in lamentations before God, and in supplicating the same grace for others that have so plentifully been poured upon him. Such was the penitent and holy princess Madame de Longueville. She did not forget her situation nor the abyss from which God had saved her, she preserved the remembrance as a foundation for her penitence, 
and her lively acknowledgement to the Almighty. Thus is Christian humility preserved, and the grace of Jesus Christ honoured. This does not preclude reflection and Christian conversation with our friends, but no sermons, no scolding. These revolt, and make us recollect and refer persons to their past life, because we find they have forgotten it. I am astonished that people of good sense should fall into this injustice, but we ought to be astonished at nothing. For what do we not meet with in our journey through life? Home life. We lead so regular a life that it is scarcely possible to be ill. We rise at eight, and I often walk till nine when the bell rings for mass to breathe the fresh air in the woods. After mass we dress, bid each other good day, return and gather orange flowers, dine and work or read till five. Since my son's absence, I read to save his little wife's lungs, leave her at five and return to those delightful groves with the servant who follows me. I take books with me, change my route and vary my walks. From a book of devotion, I turn to one of history. This creates a little change. I think of God, and his overruling providence possesses my soul, and reflect on futurity. At length, about eight o'clock, I hear a bell. This is the summons to supper. I prefer this life infinitely to that of Rennes. Is it not a fit solitude for a person who should think of her salvation, and who either is, or would be, a Christian? In short, my dearest child, there is nothing but you that I prefer to the tranquil repose I enjoy here, for I own with pleasure that I would willingly pass some more time with you, if it please God. Liberty at home. What do you say, my child? Would you not suffer me to have two or three hours to myself, after having been at mass, to dinner, until five o'clock working or talking with my daughter-in-law? She would, I believe, be as much vexed at this as myself. She is a good little woman, and we agree wonderfully well together. But we have a great taste for the liberty of parting and meeting again afterward. When I'm with you, my child, I own, I never leave you but with regret and consideration for you. With every other person, it is from consideration for myself. Nothing can be more just or more natural. It is impossible to feel for two persons what I feel for you. Leave us, therefore, a little to our sacred freedom. It agrees with me, and by the help of books, the time passes in this way as quickly as it does at your brilliant castle. Readings. Our readings are delightful. We have Abadi, footnote author of La Verité de la Religion Chrétienne, back to main text, and the history of the church. This is marrying the lute to the voice. You are not fond of wages. 
I know not how we could captivate you a whole winter here. You skim lightly. You are not fond of history. And we have no pleasure but when we are attached to our subject and make it a business. Sometimes, by way of change, we read Les Petites Lettres of Pascal. Good heavens, how delightful they are, and how well my son reads them. I constantly think of my daughter, and how worthy of her this extreme propriety of reasoning would be. But your brother says you find that it is always the same thing. Ah, so much the better. Can there be a more perfect style, more finely wrought, more delicate and unaffected raillery, or more nearly allied to the dialogues of Plato, which are so very beautiful? And when, after the first ten letters, he addresses himself to the R.P.s, what seriousness, what solidity, and what force, what eloquence! What a way of supporting it and of making it understood. All this is to be found in the last state letters, which are very different from the former. I am persuaded you never did more than glance over them, selecting the most beautiful passages, but they should be read leisurely. You ask me what books we are reading. When we have company, reading is laid aside, but before the meeting of the States we read some little books that scarcely took us up a moment. Mohammed II, who took Constantinople from the last emperor of the East. This is a great event, so singular, so brilliant and extraordinary, that we are carried away with it, and it happened but 236 years ago. The Conspiracy of Portugal, which is very fine. The Variations of Monsieur de Maux. A volume of the History of the Church. The second is too full of the details of the councils and therefore might be tedious. The Iconoclast and the Arianism of Meinburg. This author is detestable, his style disagreeable. He is always desirous of being satirical, and compares Alias, a princess and a courtier, to Monsieur Arnaud, Madame de Longueville, and Treville. But setting aside these fooleries, the historical passages are so very fine, the Council of Nice so admirable, that it is read with pleasure. And as he brings us down to Theodosius, we shall find consolation for all our evils in the elegant style of Monsieur de Fléchier. Footnote Esprit Fléchier, Bishop of Nîmes, author of the Life of Theodosius. Back to main text. Arianism I am at present reading the history of Arianism. I neither like the author nor his style, but the history itself is admirable. It is indeed that of the whole world. It has a share in everything, and seems to have springs that move all the powers of the earth. The genius of Arius was astonishing, as it likewise is to see how his heresy spread itself all over the world. Almost all the bishops join in the error, 
Saint Anathasius alone stands forth to defend the divinity of Jesus. These great events are truly worthy of admiration. When I wish to feast my understanding and my soul, I retire into my closet. I listen to our fathers and their glorious morality, which makes us so well acquainted with our own hearts. I am employed in reading my Arianism. It is a strange history in which nothing displeases me but the author and the style. But I have a pencil and am revenged on him by marking some passages which I think highly diverting from the earnest desire he shows of drawing parallels between the Arians and the Jansenists, and the perplexity he is under to reconcile the conduct of the church in the first ages of Christianity and that of the church at present, instead of passing slightly over them, he says that the church, for good reasons, does not act now as it did then. Adoration I find communion is frequent in Provence. To my shame be it spoken, I neglected the immaculate conception of the mother to reserve myself wholly for the nativity of the son. For this we cannot be too well prepared. Jealousy You are doubtless convinced that my sentiments and yours are the same, but I want to teach you jealousy, at least in theory, and assure you, me perché l'ho provato, for not believe me, for I have proved it, back to main text, that we often say things we do not think, and even if we did think them, would that be a sign of not loving? Quite the contrary. For if we were to analyse these speeches so full of anger and resentment, we should find a great deal of affection and attachment at the bottom. Some hearts are remarkably delicate. When these happen to meet with a cool or indifferent disposition, a very considerable progress is made in the region of jealousy. This I have felt myself obliged in conscience to say to you. Make your own reflections upon it, for I cannot pretend to enter into particulars at the distance of two hundred leagues. Folly a young man came to visit me the other day who was the son of a gentleman of Anjou, with whom I was formerly intimately acquainted. At his entrance I beheld a fine, graceful, handsome figure, which struck me with pleasure. But alas, as soon as he opened his mouth, he laughed at every word he spoke, which made me almost ready to cry. He has a smattering of Paris and the opera. He sings is familiar and airy, and repeats with great gravity, Quand on a point ce qu'on aime, qu'importe, qu'importe, à quel prix. Footnote, to obtain what we do not love, back to main text, instead of to obtain what we love, which you know are the words of the opera. I recommend this charming alteration to Monsieur de Grignon to set it to music. 
The Lot of Mankind. I wish to write in my prayer book what Monsieur de Comines says of the cross-purposes of human life. It is pleasant to see that even in his time, tribulation and misery were the lot of mankind. His style gives peculiar grace to the solidity of his argument. For my part, I am determined to be more than ever convinced of the impossibility of being happy in this world, since God keeps loyally to what he has promised. Footnote. This is the passage from Comines. No creature is exempt from suffering. All eat their bread in pain. Back to main text. Expenses, retrenchments, etc. I readily conceive that you are fearful of looking into the expense you have incurred. It is a machine that must not be touched, lest it fall and crush you with its weight. There is something of enchantment in the magnificence of your castle and the elegance of your table. The dilapidation must be ruinous, and I cannot conceive what you mean by saying that it is not considerable. It is a kind of black art, like that among courtiers, who, though they have not a penny in their pockets, undertake the most expensive journeys, both by land and water, follow every fashion, are at every ball, masquerade and ring, in every lottery, and still go the same round, though overwhelmed in debts. I forgot to mention gaming, which is another curious article. Then estates dwindle away, but no matter, they still go on. Just so it is with you. I fancy that by this time you were somewhat cured of your grignon economy, where you were to live for little or nothing. For it was nothing, it seems. Nothing at all to have four or five tables, to keep open house and furnish entertainment for man and horse. A thing that no one in the world now thinks of doing. In short, say what you please, that famous caravanserra of yours appears to me to teem with ruin. This concourse of people seems to me like the flood which carries all before it. In short, my child, I dare not think of this vortex. Paris will prove your resting place. Stay here, at least, till you have confronted your expenses and can look your return in the face. There are many things yet to settle which concern you as much as myself, and I might as well not have made this journey at all as to make it too short, so that I must resolve to drain the bitter cup to the bottom. Besides, as I observed to you in a former letter, the money I save by being here serves to pay off a part of my debts elsewhere. Without this expedient, what could I have done? You well know what I mean. It has cost me many an uneasy moment. 
and indeed what could you yourself have done but for the assistance you received? At present, I fancy, you have made matters up tolerably well. Baptism What you said the other day as to humour and memory was perfectly just. There are certainly things which are not sufficiently known. I also intend to convict you of heresy, my child, and be as angry as you please. I insist that the death of Jesus Christ is not alone sufficient without baptism. He requires the water, the spirit and the blood. And it has been on these conditions alone that his death can be of service to us. No part of the old man can enter into heaven but by regeneration through Jesus Christ. If you ask me my reasons, I shall reply with St. Augustine that I can give none, any more than I can tell why, having come into the world to save all men, he saves so very few, or why he concealed himself during his lifetime and would not let anyone know or follow him. I can give no reason for all these things, but of this I am certain, that since he thought it fit they should be so, they must be right and proper, seeing that his will is truth and justice. Order. If providence delights in order, and order is no other than the will of God, there must be many things contrary to his will. The persecutions against St. Anathasius and other orthodox divines and the calm prosperity of tyrants are all contrary to order and consequently to the will of God. Therefore, with leave of Father Malbranche, footnote, Father Malbranche says that all that is done in nature is done from the nature of order. Back to main text. Therefore, with the leave of Father Malbranche, would it not be as well to confine ourselves to what St. Augustine says, that God permits all things that come to pass, that he may derive glory from them to himself by ways unknown to man? St. Augustine acknowledges no rule or order but the will of God. And if we do not follow his doctrine, we shall have the mortification of finding that scarcely anything in this world is agreeable to order. Everything must pass contrary to his will who made all things. Which, in my mind, is a shocking supposition. End of section 51